This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. I would even go as far as to say he probably has the most impactful single activation in the game. He's probably like at least top five in terms of like an individual model where he's like, I'm starting this activation. And then you're looking at the board at the end of the activation and you're surveying what happened. I'd say he's probably has one of the most impactful ones. Malifaux fans, this is our first deep dive into an explorer's master. The aesthetic and lore behind English Ivan is almost as intriguing as how his crew plays. My guests break down their favorite hires, strategies, and the ways to even counter English Ivan and his crew. Make sure you stick around to the end when we discuss if explorers are pure power creep or not. Like everything we do, this is made possible by our patrons. I want to give a quick shout out to some of our most recent patrons. Special thanks goes out to Philip Cummings, Jonathan Kennedy, Freed, Marty McButterpants, Johan Hofflin, Michael Hengel, Ben Lawson, and John Sheffield. Because of you and the 100 plus other patrons, I'm able to bring out this podcast on a weekly basis. All right, everybody sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation about English Ivan. Third Floor Wars delivers interviews, insights, and discussions about everything hitting the tabletop. Rule books, plastic models, dice, and cards in hand. Let the gaming begin. Tabletop games let you escape and unleash grand battles and regale epic tales of adventure with your friends. If you love gaming and learning from players, designers, experts, and creators, you are in the right place. Pull up a chair. Craig and Ray welcome you to the third floor and the Tabletop Talk Podcast. Howdy friends, Craig here. Today we dive into English Ivan and the DUA Umber keywords. All three of my guests have been on the show before. My first guest is Cody Hyatt. He's the co-host of Swamp Fiends. Cody, welcome back to the third floor. Hey, Craig, thanks for having me on. It's always a pleasure. So recently, what has been the best guest on your podcast? Like most informed, most highest contributing. I can tell you the worst has been. (laughs) (laughs) So when we're recording this, I was just recently on Cody's show uh, for the clocks episode. Um, I do want to hear, Cody, about um, some live play that you have been going on there. How is it to be able to like actually push models around and play in person? Well, um, my two closest locals have been sort of in my, I don't know, like COVID circle, if you will. You know, we've been playing mass games since like, uh, last summer, maybe, you know, but but like once a month, twice a month, stuff like that. You know, obviously it's been accelerating a lot more recently with a lot more people going to shops, stuff like that. Um, so it's been a blast for sure. And you just recently did an event, right? 
Second yeah, place. we had one uh, last Sunday. We had nine people, which was uh, pleasantly surprised by the turnout there. Um, yeah. Uh, nine people shaking off the rust, if you will. You know, like by by round three, ugh, it was so I was so exhausted. Like just the That's fact amazing, that, you know, like I've been playing one game a month for like four months and then, uh, you know, I'm driving three and a half hours back. and stuff like that. <laughs> like, uh, you know, that, that uh, end of the tournament um, fatigue is even worse right now. You know what I'm saying? I, I don't think I've even would have thought of that, but that makes total sense. Total sense. So Roman Heckerberg, he is one of the voices on Steam Powered Scoundrels. You also know Roman from some of our live plays RPGs. Roman, how are you? Welcome back to the third floor. I'm doing well, Craig. Thanks for having me. Good to be back. Roman, what are you playing recently, man? Uh, actually just had not one, but two events, uh, that I've been playing wow. at. Yeah. Only two weeks apart too. It was great. Uh, one of them, I had to drive all the way out to Iowa. Uh, got to go support Doug for his first uh, event. He was running had, I, th- I think that was 16 people and it was from like seven different States. Shit. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, and came in third there. So I was feeling pretty good on that. Uh, and then we had a 10 person shindig, uh, first one back in Indianapolis just this last weekend. And, uh, it was a good game. I was going to end up podying him either way, uh, but ended up first because the top table tied. <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> that doesn't always happen. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's not too often that that one happens. There, there were like four ties going on in that, in that oh, tournament. That's crazy. Yeah. No, it, but oh, tons awesome. of fun, tons of fun playing. Uh, other than that, been been playing some RPGs, some of them on your own streams, and always yeah. a blast there. And uh, really just excited to be playing as many games as possible with real people in Meet Space again. Which RPG are you not playing that you wish you were? Uh, I got to be honest. I wish I was in your uh, Forbidden Lands game. I, every time <laughs> I watch that, I'm like, I wish I would have gotten on this one. Uh, that That's or, a fun one. Yeah, or uh, wishing especially uh, prudent for the topic tonight, uh, wishing I could, wishing we were getting back onto uh, Blades in the Dark. Yeah, yeah. We're going to probably, I would assume, probably when this comes out, we'll probably announce the return of uh, you guys uh, off hiatus. Um, Want to get a couple other games in. Last but not least, Jesse Ellis, the co-host of The Boring Conversation. My three favorite podcasters are on here. Uh, Jesse, welcome back to the third floor. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Craig. So how how much does it suck having to work with Adam? Um, I will tell you what, he is the literal worst person to try and schedule anything with. He that has I have too, ever. Man. Oh, my God. It's horrific. Never mind trying to get just run of the wheel games out of the way, but podcast recordings, forget it. God bless you. He, he's great. Um, we're hoping to get some more recordings under the belt soon. He just started a new gig. And actually, I uh, I have a new gig starting up pretty soon, too. So once we get those schedules ironed out. Oh, good. For, congratulations. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. He owes me uh, a Lady J um, deep dive. And we've been trying to trying to make it happen and just haven't been able to put it together. But um, not getting into what Adam does. He always has <laughs> a legit true. excuse. Yeah, very true. So. Very true. <laughs> no way does that stop me from giving him shit. Um because that's how I show love. All right, guys, the Malifaux Deep Dives allow me to talk to players well-versed in playing a certain master and keyword. We're going to learn the basics and the advanced strategies. They're crucial crew hires and the pools where the keyword does well. In the end, we will talk about how to counter them as well, so stick around. We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to get an overview of what the hell Ivan is. We'll be right back. 
DZ Learguard here, creator of the M3E Crew Builder app, and I'm a patron of Third Floor Wars because supporting great content creators like them is one of the best ways to help grow this game. So to join me and the other floor heads, go to patreon.com and search for Third Floor Wars, and we will see you there. Right now is the part of many podcasts where someone comes on, interrupts the show, and explains that you should consider paying for the content you're already getting for free. They'll go on and explain that by giving a dollar or more a month, you not only support the show, but you allow the show to grow and improve. Here on the third floor, we commit to not interrupting your episode of Tabletop Talk with such a plea. We pledge not to run a spot asking you to go to patreon.com and give a dollar or more a month. Even if there's a link in this show's description, and there is. We won't ask you to click it and become a patron. We won't spend time yammering about the benefits like early access to episodes, getting those episodes without ad breaks, or even getting a chance to play in one of Craig's RPG sessions. Anyway, enjoy this episode. We needed to clarify that we wouldn't do this type of solicitation. So, Jesse, this is my first, technically my first Explorers deep dive. We do have a McCabe deep dive, but that was not um, for Explorers. Um, so for a lot of people listening um, who have not been paying attention, this is really going to be their first exposure. So let's talk about English Ivan. First of all, can you give me a sense of kind of the style or type of master you think he is? Sure. So it's funny because you look at Ivan's card. And he's got a lot going on there. He's got a lot of support abilities. He's got a lot of damage dealing abilities. Um, but at his core, he's really a, a master that focuses on jamming summons in your opponent's face. Incredible action efficiency. I actually think he might have the most action efficient or AP efficient summon in the game. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that later. Um, so he is going to jam his summons in your opponent's face. They are difficult to deal with. Um, difficult to take down by and large. Um, he is going to help enable the rest of his crew to stay up. And he is going to himself put out a impressive amount of damage. Um, I think he actually has some of the best damage dealing ability of any master or of any uh, summoning master in the game. So in addition to the AP efficiency and the damage dealing, um, he's got um, a couple of other really kind of tech niche abilities, which you don't, they don't see play a super lot. Yep. Uh, but at his core, he, he is going to be a damage-dealing summoner, and he is damn good at that job. <laughs> that's that's a mouthful. That's really cool, though. Um, Roman, um, how about a, you know, most masters and keywords, they have kind of a signature mechanic or kind of a main mechanic. What is it for Ivan? Ivan, it's definitely the keyword uh, ability, ungentlemanly affairs. And it really, that more than anything else on the card, there's a ton of cool stuff, but that is the thing that, underlines exactly what this crew is going to do. Uh, a lot of their efficiency that Jesse was just talking about comes from the fact that they take what a lot of crews look at as defenses and things that will be something they have to overcome, and they turn it on their head and go, yes, this is now my efficiency and my bonus to use now. Uh, and that really just speaks to the whole crew. So hi, so literally, can we, can we read, uh, read that mechanic off? Um. Sure. Uh, ungentlemanly affairs. This model treats negative flips from concealment, distracted, and friendly fire as positive flips. 
And what we're going to learn is how he uh, makes sure that all of that is going to be happening, right? And we're going to see that on so we can take advantage of it. So, Cody, Jesse sure. listed off just this long list of all the stuff that Ivan does well. Um, I'd be curious to know, what do you consider his main strength? Um, yeah, I think that uh, Jesse hit the nail on the head when he said he's the most um, – uh, sort of efficacious summoner or uh, most in, impactful summoner. I would even go as far as to say he probably has the most impactful single activation in the game. He's wow. probably like at least top five in terms of like an individual model where he's like, I'm starting this activation. And then you're looking at the board at the end of the activation and you're surveying what happened. I'd say he's probably has one of the most impactful ones. And that is because not only is he summoning, but he's, he has one of the best guns in the game uh, while yeah. he's doing it. Um, his ability, you know, like he's hitting min three with his uh, built-in trigger effectively and uh, uh, spiking into summons that can also do damage. He typically does something like uh, eight to ten damage while summoning a model. Um, every activation. While summoning which, a model. <laughs> which can be, which is very hard to stop because he also has his uh, his leap on his bonus action shade step to place into concealing terrain, which as I'm sure we'll talk about in greater depth, uh, one of the other key features of the keyword is uh, placing shadow markers. Uh, you know, if you're similar to Masaki's keyword, uh, they're just destructible concealing markers, but uh, he uses them to great uh, efficiency in combination with that ungentlemanly affairs ability. Very, very cool. So, Jesse, let's talk about that gun and that offensive capability. So it sounds like some of the efficiency we're going to get is how it's combined with summons. Um, but how is he laying down that much damage? Sure. So his primary attack action, he's got two attacks on his card, but his primary, at least what I would consider his primary, is Runic Siphon. So it, it is a 10-inch range, so a little short, um, but as Cody said, he's got the built-in um, leap on his card. Uh, it's stat 6 versus willpower, so usually he's hitting you know equal or maybe even down 1 on most models. Um, if this action has any positive flips in the duel, it can replace a positive flip, a single positive flip, with a crow in the final duel total. Wow. Target suffers two, three, four damage. So kind of a junk damage track when you look at it on its face. He's got two triggers, both on crows. Uh, the first one is shadow pin. The target must have concealment or be within three inches of a friendly shadow marker. When resolving, the target suffers plus one damage and gains staggered. Yeah. Brutal. And, and th within three inches, that's a huge bubble for each one of your shadow markers. Right. And here's the deal. The, I've never in all of the 15 or 20 games that I've played with Ivan had to measure three inches from one of my shadow markers to see if that trigger is going to go off. You are always going to be in concealment wow. when he shoots at you uh, because of a bunch of other stuff that we're going <laughs> to talk about. But that that little caveat of that trigger has never come into play. Right, right. Um, well, I'd be curious, though, Jesse, how often are you trading in to get the crow? How often are you dumping? Time. Oh, really? Okay. Every time. Yeah. You're, every time you shoot with Ivan, you're going to be at it at pretty much always a single positive. You're always going to be trading that positive for the crow unless you happen to have a high crow in your hand, but Got whatever. It. The other thing, on, the other trigger on his card is a double crow. So you need to either stone four or use his uh, runic siphon uh, base ability to get a crow. And you have to have one in your hand. Uh, intercision. This is his summon. Once per turn, enemy only. Summon an umbra model with cost equal to or less than the target's willpower plus two with a shade upgrade attached into base contact with the target. Wow. 
So getting into that whole AP efficiency thing that I was talking about. Um, so one attack, one AP from Ivan, in most cases is going to be equal to three or four AP because you're projecting your summon 10 inches away. Yep. You're summoning into base contact, meaning you could in theory summon onto the opposite side of the model if you needed to. Yep. You're dealing damage with an attack, which is an AP. That's always nice. <laughs> right. And then if you happen to be summoning a Deva, it's going to get a made-to-kill attack. So you're getting two, potentially three moves worth of distance on the summon. Good lord. You're in base contact with your opponent, you're dealing damage, and you're potentially getting another attack. So we're talking like four, maybe even five AP out of one from Ivan. That is oppressive. That is oppressive. Wow. So I'd be curious. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. So then if he's summoning one of those Umbra models next to you, it has a one-inch aura that counts as concealing terrain. Ah. So you don't even need to be near one of his shadow markers. So when he shoots at you on subsequent AP, you're already going to be in concealment. So now you're taking three, four, five and gaining staggered. That's amazing. That's amazing. So I'd be curious, Roman, what's keeping, I mean, everything I'm hearing is telling me that you need to kill Ivan, right? Ivan is, Ivan is a problem. So um, what's preventing that from happening? How is he staying on the field? Uh, A number of things. Uh, Most often on the front of his card, some on the front of other people's cards, but as far as his card specifically, uh, he, he also is just very flexible, uh, not only with his actions, or not only with his abilities, but also with the actions. With as much as Jesse's done a great job of breaking down uh, exactly how efficient he is and how uh, damage dealing he can be, he doesn't need to be. Uh, I mm. I honestly don't often run him, especially early game, as that big gun turret. I I very much do more of a setup for the heist, as it were, and that often leads to making the best use of these defensive abilities. Starting off with dark deception which is going to be the big highlight one of what's keeping him alive uh when he suffers damage from an enemy attack action he can remove a, sh- a friendly shadow marker with an aura two to reduce the damage to zero to zero wow to zero uh yeah and we'll get we'll get the into the cracks in that armor there whenever we get to countering him but that that will keep him alive and it's pretty easy to get him into a little nest of shadows going no, no, no. Bring, bring on like three attacks. I'll be fine. Uh, so for all the fact that he has 10 inch range attacks, he doesn't need to stay back that far. Uh, on top of that, uh, he has penumbral converter, which is a, a great utility, ab- abil- utility ability. Say that times five times fast. Uh, where at the end of his activation, he can choose either a scheme, any scheme, or friendly shadow marker with an aura six and drop the other marker into base contact with it and then remove the first. So if you're running low on shadows, hey, look, a scheme marker, or hey, I have a shadow and I need a scheme. That's not so much defensive, but points win prizes. Now, can it be, uh, I, didn't, I, I missed it, you, you said it, but is it friendly scheme marker or? Friendly oh, shadow, so any scheme. Oh, gosh, uh, offensive scheme removal is just so huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, beyond that, as far as his defenses, the other one is going to be Black Mirror, which interacts with his totem, Mr. Mordrake. Uh, both of them have this. When this model would gain a condition, it may choose a friendly model with this ability to gain that condition instead, if able. So don't try to get Ivan drunk or light him on fire. He's just going to shove it off onto Mordrake. And anything that doesn't stack... 
uh, he can, you have to get it on Mordrake first, essentially. And then Ivan can't shove it to him. So Pandora needs to stun him twice. Wow. So Cody, we've talked about the front of the card. We've talked about the back of the card, but usually that's not the whole story. So what, what are we missing? What do we need to understand about Ivan before we move to talking about the crew? Yeah, so I think it's important if you're you're starting off with Ivan is to familiarize yourself with the concealment rules. Uh, just like we were uh, talking about earlier with the, the one crow trigger uh, and how Jesse was saying, you know, you never even need that marker. Uh, just any sight line going through concealment terrain uh, grants concealment to the target, right? It's not, um, you, you know, you're, you're checking LOS from both sides effectively. Um, you know, the, the exception of that is like weird things that say like ignore LOS, like take the hit, stuff like that actually cancels concealment, which, you know, maybe we'll get into encounters or not. So, so a typical Ivan activation, at least in my opinion, is, uh, you're typically, you know, leaping onto one of those markers anyway. So you have concealment to sort of everything that you're targeting and, you know, blast, blast, blast. Right. Um, and like Roman was saying before, um, just because that is, um, an absolute sort of <laughs> anvil falling from the sky that your opponent has to pay attention to. That's not the only thing he has to do. He can sit there and bunker up. Um, I've described him to my opponents as sort of like a pocket quarterback, right? Mm. He can, if he's uh, allowed to sort of sit in the pocket next to some defensive models, right in his little um, shadow bunker, if you will, and just <laughs> throw Hail Marys, uh, you're going to have a bad time. Um, so yeah, when we he's got Tom Brady. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I mean, a lot of the keyword is sort of, uh, contributing to that in sort of non direct ways, I guess you could say, but, uh, uh, as long as he's allowed to sit there in that little, uh, in the pocket and rain down fire, uh, it's rough. It's going to be a bad day. It's going to be a bad day. All right, guys, perfect, guys. I think it gives us a feel for Ivan. Let's take a quick break. When we get back from this break, I want to talk about the crew itself. What are some key picks and what do they flex to? We'll be right back. Howdy, friends. Craig here. You deserve a new play mat. Here on the third floor, we use mats by Mars. They are scratch-resistant, waterproof, Wet erase marker compatible, almost free of glare and lighter than neoprene. Mats by Mars gives you over 40 designs to choose from. You pick a mat, pick a design, and then you pick an overlay, like one for Marvel Crisis Protocol, Star Wars Legion, or even Malifaux 3rd Edition. Those overlays will really speed up your deployment and make the placement of objective markers so easy. Use our promotion code in the show notes to get a 10% discount on your first order. In the notes of your order, you can even request the third floor logo on your mat for free, that makes the best mat in the business even a little better. So get some new mats, save yourself some money, and help support the show. Go to matsbymars.com. All the details are in the show notes, including the discount code. So, Cody, um, you've done a few deep dives with me. Um you know, one of the things that I always like to figure out is uh, what what is like the must hires. So obviously, you know, the totem, um, let's talk about the totem a little bit. But after the totem, what what do you what is going to be in every single Ivan crew for you? The only auto include, I think, is Gibson, which is his henchman. Uh, well, one of his two henchmen, but uh, he's the henchman that sort of enables this um, 
you know, um, Ivan's superstar strategy because <laughs> he has the ability to put out shadow markers with his bonus action, which is, you know, as we talked about, that's survivability, that's damage, that's repositioning, that's everything for him. Um, but most of the actions on the back of his card are super useful too and very versatile. Um, he, he has tools for the job too, so he's giving you those high cards. Uh, he has surge trigger that you, he can sort of built in on his wrench. And um, his wrench when he's attacking Umbra models uh, actually just heals them for two. So oh, wow. uh, that is a... In it, in itself, that is a win condition. If you are like, okay, well, I got to blitz the quarterback, right? And you go at Ivan, you throw all your irreducible at him, whatever. Um, and you do like six damage. And next turn, like if you win initiative with Ivan, you leap back to Gibson, you do a, you summon <laughs> on that target that just came into you. And then Gibson goes, uh, draws a 13, uh, lays down a surge trigger, charges Ivan, draws two cards and heals him four. You just lost the game. Like the game's over. Like that's effectively a win condition because he just swallowed so much AP. So he's my only uh, auto include. I would say Ava is like probably 85 to 95, 85 to 90% uh, bring for me. So maybe one of you two want to talk about her. Well, before we do that, Roman, let's talk about the totem. So how, how is the totem coming into play? How is it um, a part of the strategy? So, Mr. Mordrake, uh, Ivan's better half, as it were, uh, he is, other than Ivan, the only DUA and Umbra model, and this comes into play a couple different interesting ways. A, he's the only model who has the Born of Shadow ability, which is the one-inch aura of concealing around him, and ungentlemanly affairs. So, he does have a ranged attack. It doesn't do damage, it just gives you staggered. But every time he uses that, he's at a positive flip. That's good. So given the number of movement duels that the crew can uh, put out, right. staggered at a positive flip, admittedly yep. only at a six-inch range, but he also has Shade Step, which gotcha. is the, the teleport that Ivan has. So he's, even though he still only has move four like Ivan, he's decently mobile. Gibson can make him fast if he wants to. Right. And in such a way that, even though it's a burnout trigger, so he takes two damage. If he activates near Ivan, he heals that too right away. Now, I'd be curious, Roman, are, is, are you like Cody, is Gibson in every one of your crews? Every single one. I, yeah. I tried not taking him once, and while it was still fun, it was it was one of those comics where Batman doesn't have his utility belt. Things get <laughs> done, but it's like, right? yeah. yeah, things get done, but it's, why are you fighting your way up this hill? <laughs> So after the totem and after after him, who, who who's your next pick? Uh, like Cody, I don't necessarily bring Eva all the time. I would say I bring her or Corvus Rook. It's rare that I bring both of them, but I always okay. bring one of them. Uh, and that's very much dependent on the pool and the matchup. Uh, Eva is very scheming, anti-scheming, or just a pretty solid gun. Uh, or Rook is more control via looking at the opposing hand and interrogating for schemes that they mm-hmm. haven't revealed yet. Uh, and he has a, a side of kind of sneaky tank and consistent damage. Right. Uh, one thing we haven't really talked about is other than the uh, shadow pin trigger, every single uh, damage track in this crew is at most two, three, four. Wow. Okay. So it's, it's, there's no spike damage. There's no sneaky anything. 
if yeah. I'm just, I've got to hit you a lot or hit you with focused attacks. So uh, give me a sense, Roman, just uh, talking, we're going to go m- far more in depth on pools here in a little bit, but I- I'm trying to get a sense of how you're choosing between, you know, Eva or not Eva. And it sounds like you're slotting them. Well, do you ever bring them together? Like bo- hire both of them? I will on occasion. Um, I, I will, I personally will end up doing that less as more uh, versatiles come out. Uh, and that's just the nature of the game. Uh so Eva, I bring whenever there is a lot of blocking terrain because she has Seamus's and a Huckster's secret passage. Nice. What she doesn't have is a way to get a third action, quote unquote, or any other non first or second action movement. So if she's going anywhere to secret passage and you want her to score that turn, she has to end up exactly where she needs to be. So if the if the terrain's not favorable to that. Corvus is probably coming because he has a six inch walk is very difficult to get engaged due to slippery. You have to be in base to base with him to engage or melee attack him. Uh, and he has uh, several pulled here and there triggers. So he has sneaky ways of getting an extra three inches of movement out whenever he needs to. How about you, Jesse? Um, are you pretty much aligned with uh, Roman and Cody? Um, so I, I actually consider all three of those models, Gibson, Corvus and Eva damn near auto hires for nice. me. Um, I take all three of them in almost every crew. I've skipped Corvus uh, like two times and both times I really regretted it. Um, I feel like he's got a lot more play in GG2, which I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, and with Eva, even if like, let's say I don't have a means to move her up the board easily with secret passage. She always has another job she can do. She can kind of serve two roles in the crew. She can serve as point scorer or she can serve as a absolutely oppressive tar pit model um i frankly at this point after play playing with them playing without them i would take all three of them in pretty much every game so is there some is there what's next for you after that jesse is everything else kind of a flex depending on the pool and the opponent um or is there ones that you're bringing a lot beyond that yeah, so the other models in the keyword, uh, we'll talk about some of them a little bit more later, I'm sure, but the other ones, operatives, they're very much so uh, a tech piece. Um, I only tend to take them into specific masters, although uh, for the same reasons that I feel like Corvus is really strong in GG2, I feel like they maybe have a little bit more play. Um, they have some issues, we'll talk about them later. Um, aside from that, I'm never... I, I've hired one of his summons one time. I hired a Nocturne once, and I did not find that it was worth its stones. His other summons, I would never even dream of hiring. Um, they're just too slow. They're, they're just way too slow. Uh, they get left behind. So aside from that, when we get into like out of keywords and versatiles, uh, which I think is probably where we're going with the other guys too, it's really going to flex around the scheme pool. Uh, there's a couple of key models in Explorers that can fill gaps uh, gaps that especially this crew needs filling uh, in terms of like mobility, uh, deep point scoring, that kind of thing. So the models that I take are going to depend on the pool. Right. I will say the out of the, the versatile model that I take more than just about anything else are botanists. Those oh, wow. things are amazing. What do you like about them? They're fast as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> That's always um, good. <laughs> So the thing with botanists is that they have onward, uh, which is an explorer's only ability. Nothing else in the game has it that essentially you're hitting a TN to get a walk action. Got it. It's just just a straight up third AP 
for usually a relatively low card. There's several models in the faction that have it. Mm-hmm. So they've got three movement AP. Um, their shtick is that they start out very weak, and then as terrain markers uh, or some other things get removed near them, they gain grow tokens, which increase all of their stats, including their um, defense, their willpower, and yeah. most importantly, their move. So they start out as a move four. By the time they get two grow tokens, uh, which with kind of a Rube, Rube Goldbergy de- deployment on turn one, you can definitely have two botanists with two grow tokens on turn one. Mm-hmm. Um, now all of a sudden you've got these two models that can move three times a turn with move six. Yeah, I, I know. Um, they're kind of annoying to kill because they can do some self healing. Um, they're really, really good for certain things like ley lines, uh, in particular, because you don't actually need to get to the thing and interact. You just need to get to the thing. Right. So having a, you know, what are they? Five, five or six stones. I think that can move 18 inches is pretty big deal. So I take them a lot. Um, so Cody, I remember when the Explorer book came out, everybody cried and said that the emissary is a must take in every single crew and it's the most powerful model that God ever created. And they wouldn't shut up <laughs> about it. Um, do you use the emissary with Ivan? Yeah, definitely. Um, and I'll say, I, uh, I think Corvus Rook is a very bad model who I don't ever take just to disagree with you guys. Uh, I mean, yeah, please. Why I is think that? it's a very, it's, I think from what I'm hearing, it sounds like you guys have different shaped holes that you're filling. And for me, uh, that model doesn't fill the holes I have left in my list. Um, so just to stop from like the sort of top down, like um, we all agree that like Gibson was very good uh, and Gibson has the ability to give a model fast and focus with his burnout trigger on one of his attacks. If, if uh, the model's next to a number model. So every out of keyword model loves that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, and, right. uh, uh, Explore society as a faction, almost like, it seems intentional, uh, is spoiled in the (laughs) eight to 10 stone category. Uh, so you can go out of keyword in that slot very easily. Mikhail fits there. Good. The archivist is a nuts model that'll get nerfed before this podcast comes out. So he fits (laughs) that nine stone slot very easily. Um, anything that can take a burnout, uh, you know, Mikhail, uh, the emissary, um, the archivist, because he has arcane shield, all of that stuff is oh, uh, Malasaurus Rex when you need uh, the uh, uh, ruthless, um, those kind of things. It, it, anything can sort of fill that slot. So once I do that, there's not, there's no room left for a Corvus Rook in my list. I'm sure. Uh, I yeah. also don't value looking at my opponent's hand as much as they seem to. Uh, I will say though, I will say though, um, the operative which we haven't mentioned. Uh, there's a lot of synergy between uh, Corvus Rook and the operatives. So there are matchups where I'm hiring two operatives because they have this uh, unique ability that's not really, uh, well, it's not at all anywhere in the game, which is the ability to sort of, sorry, I hit my mic. Um, they basically uh, can be treated as uh, friendly to enemy models. Um, uh, and what that basically means is if there's anything on the opponent card that says enemy only, they can just ignore mm. that. Uh, so like in matchups, so for example, if you're playing against Terra, two of oh, these are an right. auto include because literally none of her abilities work. Uh, the, the making fast doesn't work and the uh, glimpse trigger just does not work on them. Um, so if I'm hiring two operatives, then I'm considering Corvus Rook because he has that ability to drop ski markers. And then every time they're shooting something near a ski marker, they're drawing a card. 
So them drawing four cards as a little package, now I'm considering that. Right, right. And yeah, the emissary is fantastic because, um, I mean, uh, when we get to counter a lot of a lot of the a lot of the ways to kill uh, or sorry win against Ivan is just kill Ivan, you know, forehead, um, and emissary can just stop that in its tracks in certain matchups. So now you talk about how good all those slots are, right? That eight, what uh, eight, you said, eight to ten slots, um, yeah. but you've only got fifty stones. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, how much flex is left um, after you've kind of built your core? Um, depends, right? Yeah. So like if I'm, if I'm taking Ivan, uh, so if I'm taking Gibson Ava, that's 15, then I could go two tens, you know, something, you know, that's Mikhail and, uh, Emissary and that's a, that's a freaking nuts package. I don't know if you've seen that yet, but, uh, the, uh, the healing and Chronicle and jumping over. So you just denies half their AP, um, <laughs> every time you heal, um, that's a nuts combo. I mean, Archivist is, Nuts has one of the best guns in the game. Um, I mean, uh, or you can just go, I I, uh, sometimes will go like Nocturne uh, operative for that's also 10 stones just because the Nocturne could just put out extra um, shadow markers for research mission and deathbeds, those kinds of things. Roman is, uh, Roman, is there some other models that are out there um, that people should look at? Um, so they may not be a common hire, but it might be a situational piece or maybe uh, something that has a synergy that people might miss at first. Uh, I definitely want to point out or want to echo Cody on the Nocturne and uh, Operative because that is probably after Gibson and either the Ava or Corvus idea. That's the next 10 stones I spend. And that that is very much a one difference I think I have between myself and these guys is I bring those two to run off to the side because all they really need to be uh, set up for is Ivan to go here, have a single shadow marker. Have fun Um, out of keyword. One that we haven't mentioned yet, and I'm not quite sure how uh, is Vernon and Wells. Okay, Uh, Vernon and Wells is the versatile model that I bring most often with this crew. It's two moon scientists rolling around on a rolly wheel with a bunch of astrogation equipment, and they are kind of insane, or at least one of them is. Um, They have onward, same as the botanists, which, by the way, the botanist grow token also works for their height, so they end up at height four, which is just hilarious. Um, But onward is, is kind of this... Bonus action seen throughout the keyword that just take a walk action needs in Vernon Wells case a six to go off Uh, that combined with one of their abilities of you take the wheel once per turn after you resolve the walk action you can discard a card to take an interact action Uh, they're moving 15 inches and still interacting at the end of that. Yeah, it's amazing. You remember how I was saying Eva doesn't have the third action movability here it is. Right. And, and, and that's and that's that's what you have to debate. Right. Is that efficiency um, that Eva doesn't have, but you're, you're finding it you, you're you're spoiled uh, as far as options outside of that. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, they're also they got a few other defensive things. Arcane Shield 2, hard to kill a, uh, a head in the clouds aura, which is any friendlies in this three inch aura around them. Enemy attacks that target willpower and things in that aura are at a negative. Low willpower in 
basically the non-named characters in Explorers is pretty prevalent. So this is super helpful. Um, they have another attack that puts out staggered at range, which again helps with the shockwave. They have a shockwave that happens to target move. So it works out pretty well. One thing I do want to call out on them, they have a trigger on their onward that if people misread it, they're going to think it works like a leap. It, it does. It is when resolving the generated action, which is a walk action. Instead of moving normally, this model may place itself completely with five inches, within five inches. So it works like a leap, except it's still a walk action. So that can oh. never be used to leave engagement, which is just something oh, I wanted to put out there because I think people are going to mess it up. That's that's very, very interesting. So, Jesse, I'd be curious. Oh, go ahead, Cody. Yeah, I think um, independent of the specifics of this uh, out of keyword and versatile models, I think um, it's important to think about sort of um, what you need for an Ivan list from a macro perspective. And okay. as we were talking about sort of in the first section, right? So the goal is to have incredible Ivan activations. And there are two ways you can mess up your list with that uh, primary goal in mind. You can have too much support mm. or you can be too bubbly, right? So to Roman's point, you know, sometimes you need Vernon, Vernon Wells because you really need an independent model, right? You can lose games because you've leaned too much into your Ivan activations and you're sitting on 15 shadow markers, but it doesn't <laughs> matter because even though you have shade step, you're only leaping to models that are providing concealment or these concealing terrains. And you find yourself on turn five, you can't get over there to do what you need to do. Uh, also the two, um, supporty like uh like uh, at an initial level you might be like well winston finnegan's great arcane reservoirs grades for summoning models you know if he's standing in concealment he has luck thief so they can't do any damage to him but you can get yourself in a real tricky position where you've hired gibson and winston finnegan and then you find that the only activation that matters for you the whole turn is ivan's Ivan. right oh. even though he's having an insane activation because you have all these cards does it win the game maybe not yep and I think uh, those are the two macro considerations for an Ivan list. The other thing I'd, I'd recommend pointing out as well in that consideration is you have a ton of concealing running around the board. You have to consider that whenever you're hiring out of keyword models because they're not going to deal with it as well as your keyword models. And if you hire too many oh, that's of a good them, point. you're, you're going to get yourself tied up in the same shadows you're hoping to tie up your opponent. At. Right, right. That that was an early learning for me when I was when I was playing Ivan was I was hiring models like uh, Jesse Halliday or Mr. Negatoro or a bunch of these <laughs> other models where like, oh, I want to obey my my dude over here. I want to obey my Brock inspector so that he gets to take more attacks doing irreducible. And I'm like, wait, my Brock and creates concealing around him. I'm on a negative to obey my own model because it's an attack action or I'm trying to shoot Jesse's harpoon gun through three different shadow markers and a summon. And I'm like. Oh my God. Like the archivist trying to use ancient words or uh Tannenbaum rather trying to use ancient words. And I'm like, wow, Tannenbaum can't like do anything to my opponent's <laughs> models because he doesn't have focus because I haven't spent time giving him focus and he's having to shoot through all this concealing. So it's very easy to hire stuff in that ends up really being difficult to utilize. So speaking of hiring Jesse, um, have you tried or would you ever consider hiring another master into Ivan? It sounds awfully crowded for a crew. I would not. Um, I don't think that there are any other masters in Explorers that provide 
something that Ivan really, really needs. Um, I have, I have hired, um, what's her name? The syndicate master one time, uh, Anya, I did hire Anya one time. Um, and I didn't get 14 stones worth out of her and I could probably do it again. Cause I do think that there's some play there, but yeah, I, I don't think I'd hire her. How about the reverse? It sounds like uh, Ivan needs a little bit of synergy, but it also sounds like, I mean, just his gun alone might make him worth the hire. Um, yeah. I mean, he can be a fairly independent operator. Um, the thing you'd lose if you hired out, hired him into other keywords is you're not going to have quite the shadow marker generation. So you're going to have to lean on Ivan's own AP to use Black Soulstone to drop some shadow markers that he can either shoot through or use defensively. Um, that said, aside from that, he doesn't lose anything being hired out of keyword. He does not have a leader only ability. I'm really surprised that he doesn't. Um, um, but yeah, I mean, you, if you can find the stones for him, you can hire him in as a clutch beater that can summon some brutal models, um, right in your opponent's face. So I could see it. Yeah, the uh, the decision point for hiring Iron as Ivan as a second master for me, um, you know, there's some obvious synergy like with Jetsa, the lamplighters put out concealing markers with the lamps, you know, there's synergy. Base puts out the concealing dust markers, there's synergy there too. Um, the tricky bit is if you don't hire more Drake, you're opening yourself up to being really weak to stunned. That's the biggest decision point I've found trying it out. Um, because if he gets stunned, he literally does nothing, basically. Um, one thing I will add is that, um, uh, he's pretty good as a second master and break the lines because you have, uh, movable concealing markers. So you can kind of just, if anyone goes up to the, uh, the beeline marker, you're just like, okay, you're about to get laser beamed. Um, and yeah, I've tried, uh, Anya is pretty good. Um, uh, I've also tried, uh, hiring Jedza and Mikhail. Uh, in an Ivan crew, and that's pretty uh, inefficient. But uh, if you want a low, I'm sorry, a high floor sort of crew that's like really hard to mess up, <laughs> that's a very hard crew to mess up. <laughs> if you if you're if you're if you're having if you're getting Ivan killed on like turn two a lot of the times, try that out. You might find it's uh, it's hard yeah, to score okay. points, but also hard to lose. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and if you're talking about hiring Mordrake as in addition to hiring Ivan, Mordrake's expensive. Yeah. He is a six stone um, totem. Right. Uh, so seven out of keyword. And aside from providing the, the stunned protection, like there's some other cool stuff that he can do, um, but he's not, in my opinion, seven stones worth of, of model. It's nice to get him for free. The thing I'd point out as far as hiring Ivan as a second master, he doesn't have a uh, leader-only ability on his card, but he has the same limitation pretty much every other summoner does. His summon upgrade is plentiful two. It's uh, five if he's the leader. Well, I'd be curious though, Roman, how often how often are you getting, you know, how many summons, uh, by turn four, how many, how many summons am I typically seeing uh, running around the board? It's hard to say with my hands because my local meta hates me because I have been known to turn one, draw the 11, 12, and 13 of crows and keep them there until I need them to confirm a guaranteed summon. Um, so in my games, usually five, uh, unless something's dead. Like, And, and that's fine because you just killed a summon that I am passively healing. I don't care. That's exactly what they're there for. Cody, do you hit that five limit? 
Um, I don't know if I cared to keep track at that point. <laughs> right? If I'm winning that hard, yeah. If I'm winning that hard, I'm just apologizing. I'm not. I'm not, I'm not counting how many bird I got in my hand. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so, so it, I mean, it's literally impossible to exceed the limit because of the way that Ivan summon works. He's one of those summoners that can't summon more than one model per turn. Uh, true. Good point. So, Good point. I mean, he he's not like a summoner that can summon, you know, a Bayou Gremlin plus two other little weenie models. Like he is getting one summon a turn, and that's it. So you're never going to hit more than five. Um, in terms of what I typically see on the table, rarely do I have more than two summons on the table at the end of a turn. Because my opponent's usually going to try to kill one because they have to kill him because they're right in their face. Um, you're probably going to get a summon with him every turn. Um, a turn five summon is most of the time going to be irrelevant because you've probably won the game at that point. Um, but turns one through four, I would say he's summoning 99% of the time. So speaking of upgrades, uh, Jesse, are there any Explorer upgrades that you're, you're pasting on? Um, so <laughs> this might be a somewhat divisive, uh, choice. I have already, uh, talked about my love of it, but I take hidden agenda on Ivan every single game. <laughs> Why is that? Um, the fun of it. <laughs> um, so hidden agenda, um, just to make sure that people know how it works. So it's going to give Ivan two things. Basically, anytime you cheat in a duel against him, you take a damage. Period. Ivan always, the other part of the ability, or the other part of the upgrade is that Ivan always cheats face down. So it's the old Lynch ability from Tui. So it lets you do some really janky stuff. Um, it's not, I don't consider it a game winning ability, but you can bait your opponent into making some serious mistakes with it. So one of the things that is very unique about Ivan is his summon does not have a TN. The TN is you hitting your opponent. So I have on multiple occasions using hidden agenda said, okay, well, I flipped a three, you flipped a five, you flipped a four, whatever it is, you flipped a low card. So I say, I'm going to cheat first and I'm going to cheat face down. And it's the first activation of the turn. So you can probably bet that I'm going to have a face card in there an 11, 12 or 13. I'm probably not going to, I've already said I'm stoning. Or I've already said that I'm flipping, giving, up the you know, flip. yep. giving myself the crow. So I am sitting on two crows right now. I haven't declared triggers yet. I've cheated face down. You have to make a choice. Are you going to guess that you can beat me, cheat and take a damage, and then have me flip over a 13 and hit you anyway? Or do you say, I'm not going to try. I don't want to take the damage. And then I flip over a five of crows and I say, eat that Brock Inspector right in the face because there's no TN on it. So it disincentivizes your opponent from doing the only thing that they can do to prevent your summons from going off. And if your opponent is foolish enough to try and beat you in the arms race of cards, um, it can turn your second and third APs with the shadow pin trigger from three, four, five into four, five, six damage tracks. How about you, Roman? Do you, uh, do you bring any, um, I do. I do. Uh, so I've, I've tried Hidden Agenda because I like it in theory and I like how, how fun and wacky it can be. Again, very shadowy heist crew feel. I love it. I rarely get it to work well. Uh, but what I have 
uh, enjoyed doing is flush with cash. And this most often either goes on Ivan because it gives him a third uh, six-inch aura. So they're all on him, and this allows him to, if a friendly dies to an enemy model, I get a stone back. So I'm summoning something in. It's on the edge of that six-inch aura to, so that they heal when they activate. So if you want to throw all your attacks into killing that thing, great. Give me my stone back. And hopefully it's a free one because I cheated in the crow anyway. Um, on top of that, this also gives him the infamous bribery ability. So that once per turn, if he's targeted by an enemy attack, he can discard a soul stone to say, no, 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 you're not hitting me today. That's fine. Uh, and give them a stone instead. So that's another layer of, no, don't kill Ivan, which is one of the reasons I honestly don't bring the emissary, or rather haven't found a need to yet. I'm sure as we see him out more in the wild and people start hearing what we're talking about today, whenever we get to countering them, I will end up bring, bringing the stab lion, as we've started calling it locally. Stab lion, that's funny. I'd be curious, Roman, how many, you know, with this, him being a summoner, you know, it sounds like, sounds like having some stones would be great, but also you have a ways to get the crows that where you're not using stones, but keeping him alive is good. Um, hey, Cody, um, how often, uh, how many stones do you typically run with him? Depending on the build between four and six and more towards the six. If I don't bring flush with cash. Got it. Got it. How about you, Cody? What is, what's the normal number of stones you bring in? With Ivan. Um, yeah, I would say I want at least five. Um, four feels rough, uh, especially if you have to stone for cards like a couple of times early turns. Um, yep. If I've built the list that I want and then I have seven stones left, you know, I'll throw an upgrade out. Nice, nice, nice. How about you, Jesse? About the same? I, I tend to run a little higher. I like to be in the six or seven range. Uh, seven seems to be where I land most of the time. But part of the reason that I do that is because, as as we discussed, I tend to take Corvus more than the other two guys. And being an in-your-face, you know, henchman, uh, I'm going to tend to use a couple of stones here and there on him. So, Jesse, based on everything we've been talking about, about building this crew, what what is, is there anything key that we've missed? Is there a concept that we need to make sure the listeners understand um, and play, or players? Um, I, I think that one of the things that you really need to think about is how much AP you as the opponent are going to have to sink into dealing with the things that Ivan does. So he, you think about summoning things in the middle. You're like, all right, well, I'm going to target whatever my opponent throws towards board center and I'm going to hit it for some damage and I'm going to summon a Deva or a Brock inspector in its face. And now there's this thing right in the middle of the table that's causing problems. Well, that's all well and good. And summoning a Brock inspector in the middle of your opponent's crew is enormously disruptive, but because of the way that Ivan summon works, I mean, he's got a 10 inch bubble around him where if your opponent throws a flanker off on the edge of the table, um, and it's the only way that they have to score points over there, you're like, um, uh, well, I'm going to just shoot that guy and I'm going to summon a Deva right next to him. So now he can't do whatever he was going to do to, to score. Most likely um, the Deva is going to use its clingy ability and it's going to potentially follow the thing around. And every time it places from clingy, it's going to get another attack on him because of Jeez. made to kill. Um, plus, you know, let's say for instance that you do summon something in the middle and you see the schemer off on the side and you're like, well, I'm just going to hit that thing with staggered. 
and do three, four, five damage to it. And now it's probably not going to be able to do whatever it needed to do next turn. And I don't have to dedicate any more AP to that side right. of the table for at least a turn. All I have to do is tag this model one time. So one of Ivan's AP is potentially costing your opponent multiple AP yep. off on the side and preventing them from scoring points that they planned on. Yep. Yep. How about you, Roman? What's some key crew concepts we haven't covered uh, as we wrap up? The biggest one I would say that we haven't mentioned yet is there is no nothing in the keyword other than Brock Inspector's irreducible melee damage that goes against any kind of damage reduction. Got it. That combined with their fairly flat uh, damage elsewhere in the crew means that there will be times where I will hire one of those uh, if I'm expecting some kind of lots of armor or shielded or what have you, and a opponent who is very uh, mindful of the fact that if they don't bring any willpower six, or if they bring something like Bryn, who's willpower seven and turns off triggers and basically says, no, you're not summoning off of me. Yep. I need to make sure I have that Brock in there. Because if I have one, the Deva have Mimic. And then I can spread around the irreducible as needed. Uh, that said, that is the other spot I would occasionally put a upgrade. If I do hire a Brocken, I'll give it the extra two stones to give it treasure map because they are slow. When you're playing Ivan, as much as you can, uh, try and think about what your summon is going to do next. Because mm. as uh, in addition to the flexibility that you have and your ability to shut down stuff like that, you can also uh, do something like where Ivan goes over here, he shoots something, you summon a Deva, and that Deva won't do anything for the rest of the game because they're just like move four models, right? So you do have that flexibility, but you are always a little uh, shackled by your ability to only move where uh, some of your other models have already moved, right? With the Shade Step, with the Mass Triggers on the Brocken, and the Deva to play space to base with models. Um, so just as you're learning this crew, um, be aware of that sort of uh, that chain that you have to plan a, a couple of turns ahead of time if you want to get to a spot. That makes sense. So guys, we're going to take another break. When I get back from this break, I want to talk about how to look at the scheme and strategy pools and decide whether Ivan's a good fit or not. We'll be right back. There are so many online retailers. It can be hard to find one that is trustworthy, has great prices, along with some reliable customer service. On the third floor, we love ordering our gaming goodies from Gadzooks Gaming. Their selection of terrain, miniatures, dice, custom decor, and conversion bits are curated for gamers by gamers. You'll find they have what you need and what you didn't know you needed take your gaming fun to the next level. If you mention Third Floor Wars in the cart notes of your order, you'll also get a free gift. And you'll help support the podcast. Check out gadzooksgaming.com and mention Third Floor Wars on checkout to get that free gift. So 
now that we got an idea um, of kind of core crew, um, what we're going to look at for the crew, things to look out for. Uh, I like the fact that we talked about some common mistakes that can be made in hiring when you're not realizing that maybe concealing isn't great for everybody that's involved. But now let's talk about the pool, Roman. So if you look at, let's focus on strategies first. Is there a particular strategy that allows Ivan to kind of win out against really a pretty strong faction? So he is... Honestly, I think probably the best generalist in Explorers. Uh, There's not really a strategy I can point to that says he's the best at it, but there's also only one I can point to going, that's a little weaker, but I can fill that hole with versatiles. And that's uh, symbols because of the the going deep for it. Uh, But everything else, like corrupted ley lines, you have this really cool thing where you can start, especially in, in flank where you have one, in your deployment, start the lo- the lodestone on a nocturne, and it loses nothing turn one by just sitting there and going, you and you, move three inches. Cody, is he such a generalist that I could um, just run him for all five rounds? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, I would say uh, we'll see how the meta matures um, in terms of, like, what factions you maybe don't declare him in. But, yeah, I would say break the lines is his strongest, in my opinion, and... Symbols is his weakest, um, but the the differential between those two uh, ends of the spectrum is not is not that big. Right. So you could run him into symbols. Yeah. The reason symbols is slightly weaker is because those markers are not blocking, so Eva can't really like leap to them in in the same way that she can leap to turf markers and corrupted leyline markers. Um, you, you know, sometimes uh, you might think like, well, summoners are not particularly great in turf, um, but Typically, you're summing them on the other end of the table where you haven't uh, claimed turf markers yet. And Eva's ability to, like, leap to a, a turf marker, drop a scheme marker, lock that scheme marker down, and just win games. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it sounds like his summons, Cody, are are not scoring you points that way. You're jamming them, right? So that, that restriction on how they can interact um, as summons that we saw in the most recent um, uh, change, it sounds like it has less of effect. Does that sound right? Correct. Yeah, uh, he was probably impacted uh, the, the least, least by yeah. the GG2 summons because he wants his summons to die. Um, you know, if you're playing an even game where you're not just tabling them, um, the game plan is that they're dead. So because they can't score anything, they can't really do much. Uh, they drop shadow markers when they die because of his upgrade. Um, so that's kind of the game plan. I'd be curious, Jesse, um, now that we've got a sense of kind of, you know, how tightly packed the range is that Cody mentioned. And, uh, you know, Roman said, you know, he's pretty he's a pretty good generalist. How about schemes? Um, is there one or two schemes that he just loves? Oh, yeah. I mean, the the kind of dead giveaway ones are going to be like research mission. Obviously, he can drop shadow markers and then there's other markers that you can use for research missions. So any any marker dropping crew is going to excel at that. Um, deathbeds one of the new schemes uh, he's also particularly good at um, that's also one of the reasons that I value Corvus maybe a little more than the other guys is because he has uh, draw out secrets which I think draw out secrets as a trigger is very powerful in GG2 um, with the addition of detonate the charges and deathbeds that you want markers near your near either a, a spot on the board or your opponent's models and you can, my, my perception of Corvus is I don't really care about being able to look at my opponent's hand, which is the first thing people look at with him, because I usually activate with him very late in the turn. And I'm relying on the fact that he's a stat seven melee model that can use his own health to create 
uh, to use draw secrets, drop scheme markers in the positions that I need to to score and win the game. So those two in particular with him are are quite good. Um, and then of course the you know the Killy schemes and, and all that stuff that you'd see on any kind of damage dealing crew. Um, yep. Your vendettas, your assassinates. He's very good at assassinate, and he's also quite good at denying it. So, Roman, out of curiosity, is there, you know, sometimes, you know, you have the obvious ones, right? You look at Ivan, you look at the scheme pool and you go, that's obvious. Have you found um, any schemes that maybe coupled with another scheme or that that partner well, maybe one that isn't quite as obvious as the one we've talked about? Or did Jesse cover him pretty well? Uh, he covered him really well. There's uh, two, well, more than two, but two styles of them that I want to call out. Claim jump. Take it on Mordrake. Watch your opponent cry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because he's not going to die unless you want him to, or if he gets hit by execute, in which case throw away a card. Don't let him do that. Um, right. And also, as we kind of mentioned earlier, spread them out, detonate anything involving schemes that Ivan can get to. He can go, Oh, as long as it happened before I activated, you don't have that scheme this turn. It's a shadow for me now. Yeah. That removal's so big. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So big. Um, Cody, if I'm going up against Ivan and I look at the scheme pool, um, what would be a dumb pick for me? So what are, what are schemes that you don't want to pick if you're going up against Ivan? Um, depending on their list, assassinate can be a no go. Uh, your opponent, uh, the Ivan player really doesn't want Ivan dying anyway. So, uh, if you telegraph that it's, it's very easy to stop with just dropping shadow markers. And then some of the certain, I guess, I don't know. I, I, Nothing else really stands out, okay. in my opinion, other than like, um, yeah, like uh, Roman said, like maybe not, <laughs> don't take Vendetta, more Drake or something, you know, like um, stuff like that. So guys, we're going to take another break. When we come back, we're coming to really one of my favorite segments, which is second level play. And then we're going to find out whether you can actually counter Ivan and win a game. We'll be right back. Howdy friends, Craig here. Nothing makes Malifaux easier than having the right tools. Here at the third floor, we love all the licensed Malifaux goodies from Custom Meeple. Not only are they helping support this podcast, they sell custom-made weird licensed tokens and terrain. They sell it all. Crew boxes, terrain, markers, tokens, and even a 3x3 full Malifaux board. Custom Meeple sells a complete M3E token set covering every marker and token you need to play. Custom Meeple are the source for the official accessories for Malifaux. Everything is designed by hand and authorized by Weird Games. Check them out at custommeeple.com, that's with one M, or follow the link in the show notes. Up your Malifaux game and be sure to tell them Craig from the third floor sent you. If you use the promo code third floor friend, all one word, T-H-I-R-D-F-L-O-O-R-F-R-I-E-N-D, you'll get a 5% discount and help support the podcast. It's valid on everything except retail products and playmats. So, Jesse, what do you consider second level play? So, I think probably one of the most important things to remember with Ivan, and this is something that is so easy to, to, to forget about, is on his summons upgrades... One of the things that it gives him is, um, <clears throat> excuse me, an ability called split, which is once per activation. Before this model moves, it may suffer two irreducible damage to drop a shadow marker in base contact. So 
that allows you to drop shadow markers with any of your summons. And it's not just when you take a walk action, it's any time you take a move. Several of his summons have the ability to place, have the ability to push, that kind right. of thing. And it's going to let you put those shadow markers into uh, really advantageous positions, especially because it's before they move. So you can mm. have, a, uh, have a model in base contact with, uh, or have a, a Brock Inspector, for instance, in base contact with an opponent's model. You can use one of Ivan's abilities, which doesn't see a lot of play because it's very niche, uh, Encroaching Shadows, where he can target a friendly Shadow Marker or Umbra model that's up to 10 inches away, push it 6 inches in any direction, ignoring models, and then anything that it moves through has to take a move 13 duel or gain distracted 1, and if you get a mask on it, you get the cut them down trigger to make it take an attack action. So what's happening is you summon your Deva or your Brocken or whatever, preferably a Brocken. You get to push it. Before it pushes, it can take some damage. Drop a shadow marker right where it was, which is providing you another place that you can draw a line of sight lines, yep. you know, sight lines through or what have you, that you can potentially turn into a scheme marker with Ivan's front of card ability. It does its move. It does its attacks. It does the rest of its thing. But it's so easy to forget about that split ability, even in really critical circumstances where, like, I need a shadow marker here for research mission. How am I going to get it there? What am I going to do when all you need to do is take a nocturne and walk it twice and on the second one just make a shadow marker? Yep. Um, having him close enough to Ivan so that he can use his penumbral uh, converter ability, which we've to spoken about a couple of times, just that front of card ability to swap scheme for for shadow is so easy to forget and all it takes is saying okay i um i scored my points this turn uh we're all set i finished my last activation and then it comes to the end of the turn and your opponent declares a scheme that they're scoring because you forgot to use penumbral converter got it fuck i could have turned that scheme <laughs> marker into a shadow marker for yeah. no ap right and i forgot to do it yeah um cody, cody what yeah. were some of the big ones that you figured out uh, yeah, I'll also say, uh, when mentioning encroaching shadows, it's a tactical action. So Ivan can target himself with it. Um, so even though he's moved four, a lot of times opponents will be like, all right, so what's your threat range on a summon? It's like, <laughs> saddle up, buddy. Uh, because you got that leap, you can encroaching shadows yourself twice to push six, you know, and then you, so it's like, well, you know, in theory it's this, but that's not where I want to be kind of thing. Um, the other thing I'll say on second level play is um, be very uh, careful with uh, how tangent lines block LOS in um, this game, right? So um, whenever you're declaring, um, you know, whenever you're moving a model, you can be like, my intent is uh, such that uh, this model blocks LOS between Ivan and that shadow marker, right? And uh -huh. that's whenever we're talking about Ivan, uh, that's probably going to be part of the uh, the micro tactics involved in killing him, right? Like I'll diving charge, charge over him, stand on top of the shadow marker. And because his reduced damage to zero is an aura, he can't use that one. Um, so it. like a lot of the second level play is about, you know, even though you made this huge bunker of markers all over the place, maybe what you should have done is just been standing on two where they couldn't block mm. LOS to you. And, and same same with Eva. Like, you can get a little cute with um, turning that corpse marker and locking it down uh, when what you should have just been doing was putting a scheme marker directly underneath you so there's no LOS blocked from any angle and locking that down. 
Roman, how about for you? What took practice, right? So what did you, what did it take reps in order to figure out about uh, Ivan? Doing more with Gibson than just making him a heel draw bot. Interesting. Uh, because Gibson on easy mode is definitely, as we've said previously, tools for the job in a low tome, build in your surge trigger, charge Ivan or whoever needs to be healed and draw cards. And then throw out a, a shadow marker with his bonus action. He has two other attacks, which are both good. Um, <laughs> but the uh, chromatic aberration is, they're, they're both only six inches, which is the, the difficult part about them. Because... As we've also said, if you're going to kill Ivan, you got to take Gibson out first or at least separate them in a way that Gibson can't easily get over to him and go heal, heal stick. Um, so if you want to make use of his mechanical firefly for putting out distracted two on a shockwave two, that's huge if you can get it to happen, but you need to time that right so that the stuff he's getting A, doesn't necessarily have the cards in hand to stop it, and B, probably already is gone, so it can't just charge him and go, well, you've put yourself in front of a couple matures, good night. Um, That mechanical firefly, especially with his uh, ability blinded by the light, which we haven't talked about yet, is another six-inch aura. After an enemy model within aura six is targeted by an attack action, Uh, this model may reduce the value of the target's distracted condition by one to have the target suffer a negative to their duels to resist the action. If you can get that to happen, that's another way where you can go, you're at a negative versus Ivan's runic siphon. Oh, I flipped a three of crows. You flipped, you know, a 12 and a two. I get a summon off of you for almost nothing Um, or just hit you for tons of damage. Again, that's tricky to do, but... Getting more out of Gibson is probably the the other biggest thing. And uh, I I have one more of everyone's afraid of the Brocken and for good reason. They're scary, but they're the they're the I have a specific thing that nothing else in the crew can deal with, whether it's healing or uh, armor or et cetera. I need a Brocken there. I don't think enough people have really realized how powerful the Deva are. And barring a couple Tricky things in Bayou, uh, you should listen to the best laid plans I did with Nate uh, of Ivan and Tama, where he almost killed Ivan and then screwed it up for himself. But he brought a list that there was like two models in that entire list I could summon off of. And it That's was good. not fun. That's um, well, a perfect lead in for me, Roman. Um, so I'm playing you. You're bringing Ivan. Um, what can I bring? Or what can I do to make your life a little bit harder? All right, everybody write this down. Um, <laughs> as you've probably put together by now, marker removal or ways of destroying destructible terrain efficiently, blow it to hell, uh, thriller driller, anything like that, you want to bring as much of that as you can. Uh, Range is best. If you can target things that are not defense, well, and, and let me preface this. One of the trickiest things about facing this keyword is it's two keywords. Your humans generally have, generally, lower defense and higher willpower. They also, other than Ivan getting hit by Gibson, don't have a way to heal in keyword. Your Umbras, on the other hand, have six defense across the board, and their willpower goes down the cheaper they are. Uh, 
So you want to hit them on willpower or movement, and you want to hit the people on defense or, if it's Ivan, movement. You also want to bring things that ignore concealing. Duh, right? But I'm not just saying things that say ignores concealment. Bring stuff that puts out focus really effectively or has an eight plus flips. Um, very important thing, second level play for people opposing Ivan. Standing in concealing terrain, you can choose to ignore up to one inch of it. So if you charge into an Umbra and then hit it with your ranged non-projectile willpower attack, you don't care about concealment. That's a big Because of how close you are. Exactly. Got it. Um, Got it. Also, in general, slow and stunned and staggered. At various things in the crew, the slow stuff, staggered, it's not getting to you. If you can stun Ivan and to get to him, Mordrake, he's going to have a bad day, like Cody mentioned earlier. Uh, Bring lots of damage reduction. Bring lots of damage reduction. Uh, The Brocken are the only way, and there's only two of them at most. Um, and the biggest thing, the biggest single thing that this crew will have trouble dealing with is shockwaves because most, they, they ignore concealment in, innately. This crew bubbles at least a little bit and that's going to cause a lot of tests. And while this crew has a decent amount of card draw, if you can drain their hands, they're suddenly going, I needed that. I like they're right. efficient, but they need the cards to do what they need to do. How about you, Cody? How can somebody mess up your Ivan plans? Yeah, so the way I'll um, address it uh, from a strategic perspective is um, going into playing against Ivan, uh, the biggest gear check is that you have to be able to threaten Ivan himself. Um, Now, uh, as we talked about, you got the Emissary, you got Mikhail, you got all of these ways to keep him alive. Uh, so your dojo brain could just be like, well, that's impossible. And in certain ways, they can be. Um, but the way it plays out on the table is, one, you have to be able to threaten him. Because if he can just stand in the pocket and, and rain rain hellfire, he's going to be able to abuse that. He's going to be doing stuff like Gibson puts one shadow marker forward, he leaps to the center line on turn one, and stands there the entire game. You have to be able to threaten that. So that that is not a play that they can do. Um, but you also have to be able to flex into um, when they do some of these sort of overly defensive commitment to like keeping him alive. You have to be able to flex into uh, just kill Eva, just kill uh, Corvus Rook, you know. Um, so the gear check is that you have to be able to threaten him. And then the big brain part is you have to be willing to let that go strategically. Mm. Like, um, that's why I said, maybe don't take assassinate. So even right. though against a less skilled player, you'll probably assassinate Ivan a bunch. Ivan's losing a decent amount. Um, so that could work, but, uh, you have to be able to flex. Um, yeah. That makes sense. How about you, Jesse? How can I mess up your plans? So I would say that Ivan, more so than just about any other master that I played in the game, um, challenges your ability to build an effective list. Hmm. Most most games against Ivan are won or lost at list building, more so than I think you see in, in most other situations in the game. So if you just take your crew and you play them into Ivan and expect to be able to play your game and do well, you are going to get rolled in a way that I cannot even articulate. He will do 
anything that he wants to do. He will stop you from doing most of what you want to do, and the game's going to end six, seven, eight to two. You're not going to do a damn thing. So you have to be able to structure your list in a way that you can counter some of his key abilities. Um, if, as Roman had said before, if you can make a crew that kind of hits a few marks, some kind of damage reduction across the keyword to capitalize on the fact that he's got a bunch of two, three, four damage tracks, willpower five or less so that he can't summon Brock inspectors to ignore your damage reduction. Um, and a, a little bit of healing and enough or enough mobility to kind of get around him. Um, Ivan's going to have a tough game. Um, there are a few particular masters or, or list styles that really give him trouble. Hoffman can be a real problem for him. Um, real problem. Because he can take a lot of low willpower models with high damage reduction and you're only ever going to be hitting his stuff for one. He's going to be healing like crazy and he's going to be moving his models all over the place. Yeah, he's got that mobility, which is yeah. huge. Yeah, it's huge. Um, if you can make sure you take some sort of efficient marker removal, and that's the key is efficient. You want something that's either at range, like blow it to hell, which I know not all factions have access to, or you want something that you can do marker removal and some other effect. You, you can't trade an AP for a marker. Like if you're just trying to play the destructible game, you're, you're never going to get ahead of him. Um, and if you can take something to help ignore distracted, um, that is enormous because one thing we haven't really talked about is this crew has an ability to stack so many negatives on you. You're going to have a hell of a time doing anything. So like if you're playing against an opposing range crew, for instance, if they don't have a way to ignore distracted, uh, ignore concealment, ignore friendly fire, there are going to be times that they're shooting at you on a double or a triple negative. They're not going to hit you. It, it's not even going to be a contest. So if you can take something that ignores those things, like some of the really good snipers, uh, Ivan really doesn't like seeing a, a competent sniper on the other side of the table. Your Rami LaCroix, um, your uh, Hans is extremely strong into Ivan. Interesting. Um, there are a few other key tech pieces, like, um, for instance, the, uh, what's, his, what's his face? Uh, serial killer guy there. Um, Seamus? No, not Seamus. Uh, the outcast guy. What's his name? Oh, the Midnight Stalker. Midnight Stalker. So <laughs> there we go. So the Midnight Stalker is actually a weirdly good tech piece into Ivan because he has honorable. So you don't get negative flips from distracted when you're attacking him, which means that you don't get to turn them into positive flips. He can hand out adversary, uh, which helps to get around the other stuff that Ivan can do to put you at negatives. Um, there's a few other things that you really have to kind of like toolbox out and think outside the box. Like me and Cody were talking a little while ago about like zip and you think, well, everything in zips crew makes concealing auras. That's terrible. But it doesn't matter. Ivan's going to have concealing all the time. Right. Anyway. <laughs> Who cares? Who cares if you have an aura? It doesn't matter. Yeah. But zips crew can, you know, Mancha Roja can passively remove markers while hitting you for three, four, five or four, five, six or five, six, seven. Um, Zip can just pick you, pick Ivan up and put him away from his shadow markers. And all it takes is an AP and a trigger. Yep. And sometimes that's all it takes. If you can just move Ivan out of position, all of a sudden he's got no shadow markers next to him and you can wail on him. Yeah. And, and you've got the damage dealing to, to be able to follow that up and, and beat the shit out of him. That makes a exactly. ton of sense. 
Uh, yeah. So the gear check element to Jesse's point is, is not as heavy of a lift as it seems, right? Like just shove aside is good enough. If you can push him off his markers, just diving charge is good enough. You can push him off his markers or threatening him. Uh, I think a lot of the ways people are losing games is over teching against him, right? Like oh, I'll just bring a list full of willpower four. And then you're like, well, okay. I got archivist. I got Vernon Wells. I got Malasaurus Rex, all of which are heavily exploiting you making that decision. And what do did you lose in your list writing also in terms of your ability to score schemes by just teching like super hard. Um, so yeah, I think to that point, uh, you just need like an entry point. And also, uh, like Jesse was saying about the low damage tracks, your, your typical, um, first turn strategy should be all in or all out, right? Because you have those low damage tracks, um, they rely on the efficiency. They rely on the volume of attacks and that's how you generally deal with all of those, all of the crews that have that strategy, right? The worst thing you could do is send one model in at a time. It gets locked down by a summon and gets plinked to death. Yep, yep. If you're going to do it, do it. That makes sense. I all just right, realized so, one other easy thing we totally forgot to mention. Irreducible damage. Can't yeah. reduce it to zero if it's irreducible. Oh, mm-hmm. shit. Right. I, you know what? I didn't even think about that. That makes sense. Um, yeah. All right. So hot topic round table. I'm going to shut up. I'm going to let you three do it, but I'm going to set the table. So book for our, uh, explorers drops took about, I don't know, four minutes before everybody was on AWP talking about how explorers are breaking the curve. They're, uh, you know, OP, um, Malifaux is now full of power creep. Um, dust is settling a little bit, but it's not going to settle until we, get out of lockdown and we have tournaments every weekend. So uh, we'll start with you, Jesse, but six months from now, before the first buffs or nerfs come out that explorers are a part of, um, is that going to stay the same or were the hot takes right? Um, or do people just need to calm the hell down? <laughs> I think by and large, people need to calm the hell down. Um, they're what I was saying before about requiring you to build your list in certain ways to combat Ivan that same thing applies not only to a bunch of explorers masters, but it applies to plenty of other plenty of other masters in in the game. And I, I'm not trying to make this argument that well, Karai's broken, so that means that Ivan can't be can't possibly be as broken. That's not what I'm saying. As people learn how to play into these things, you're gonna be you're gonna see more and more crews get put together that can effectively counter Ivan or counter Jedza or counter Cadmus. Cadmus might be a little bit more tricky right now to counter, but it is certainly doable. Um, I feel like, no, the sky is not falling. Yes, you're going to have to alter your play going into these guys. And just like any other master, it's going to take you a couple of games. Like, you're you're not going to play against Ivan the first, second, third, even fourth or fifth time and have an easy game. You're probably never going to have an easy game against him, but that's besides the point. Um, it's going to take reps and it's going to take more reps than it is going to take into another more straightforward master. I would agree with that. Uh, essentially they're, they're not above the curve, but just like when thunders first came out and people were like, Oh, this is so good. This is so good. This isn't a, we added a new henchman and it changed the way a keyword played. And maybe somebody found a all stars list that it works really well in. This is not that small of a change. This is not a drop in the bucket. We just took a whole bucket full of rocks and chucked it in a lake. It's going to take a while for everybody to kind of reassess the lake. 
being the game. Um, with Explorers coming out, not only are they the new hotness, but I would recommend people play them, even if it's just on Vassal, so that you get a chance to see how they work. I think pretty much every podcast has said at this point, if you're having trouble against keyword, play the keyword five games. You will find the weaknesses because other people will show them to you. Um, the one thing there, I definitely see some potential spots where slight burrs could be worked off a little bit. Uh, in Ivan, the, the Brock inspectors, hallowed glory doing auto two damage to whatever's in base contact with it. Even if you pass the, uh, target number, watch out for that, by the way, that I could see changing to it happens if you pass or if you don't pass, that could be fine. But otherwise, like it's a tough keyword, but there's ways to play into it. Cadmus is probably the one that I look at and I go, that might need a little bit of a touch. But here's the reason I'm, I'm still unwilling to say that most of the data that we have right now, a it's not enough. It never will be but most of it's from the Vassal World Cup, which I think is great that they're doing, but it's not actually playing Malifaux. It's playing UK Malifaux, which is no double masters. And Weird is designing the game to work with double masters, and there are several keywords, Cadmus being one of them, and probably the most notable at this point, that I think it behooves you, and it, it is designed with the idea of Someone declared Cadmus. You better bring your second master with as much AOE as you can, because that's the best way to deal with them. Uh, similar to Zoraida. Like, if you see Zoraida, merc in your Seamus or your Karis to go hunt her down from range so that she's not doing whatever she wants. Uh, and I think until we see more of those types of games, we're going to continue to see people going, Cadmus is busted. Yeah, uh, yeah, my soapbox just grew like mimic legs and crawled over here when you mentioned Double Masters because uh, <laughs> that's kind of my whole shit. Uh, but to bring it back to Explorers a little bit, uh, I uh, wholeheartedly agree with you in every way. Um, that one thing it's easy to um, do is fixate on the strengths of a faction and neglect its weaknesses, right? So if you're looking at Explore Society, you're like, there's all this unresisted damage. That's dog shit, you know? Like, what are you doing? It's like, well, that's what Jetsa does. You know what I'm saying? Uh, like, the Hallow Glory may be an exception that needs to change or whatever. Uh, there's, like, all of these uh, ways to move enemy models within the faction. It's like, well, they're called Explore Society, you know? They're kind of about movement, sh you know, stuff. Um, what is like harder to see if you're not playing that is how much that low willpower stat across the entire faction with and one of the ruthless, you know, there's two ruthless models that you can slide in out a keyword. And one of them is one of the worst models that cost 10 stones in the game. Like <laughs> how big of the, you know, how big those sort of holes can be once you're in list writing. Almost all of the minions in Explore Society are mediocre, like like almost without exception, um, like Brock inspector's good, but only if you're summoning it, you know, like, uh, operatives are good, but only in certain situations. There's like, there's definitely no Sillerids, <laughs> you know, there's definitely no Kruligans. Uh, there's no great minions in this faction and that stuff is, is kind of rough. Um, there are definitely models that will need to be tweaked. I think the archivist is one that needs to get nerfed and will get nerfed because 
like to Roman's point, um, Cadmus is sort of not being played in the way a, a, a feasting, you know, what's her name, Shelob, uh, should be playing. You know, it's kind of just about farming cards so that the ar- you have the best gun in the game with the Archivist, and he just drops like five damage, ignoring demise, like. Uh, uh, all game, you know, so that's clearly unintended and that'll change with an archivist nerf. You know, he's too good out of keyword anyway. Um, and maybe, maybe something with the emissary, not because I think he's, uh, oppressively good, but more because he's, he's, um, he's hard to think about in the dojo. If you're playing against explorers, like it's kind of just a damper on certain ways of, you know, interacting with the crew in your head, you know, just be like, well, I could do this, this, and this, and this, and then it's like, well, what if they have the emissary? Then he's has, he has four thirteens in his hand every single time. And he's did seven <laughs> and he's taking every hit, you know, like it's more just like, uh, you know, like a mental block that kind of, I guess is unfun for certain people, but I, I have no, like I have Explorer shoes that I got printed up. That's how much I'm into this faction right now. <laughs> um, but if, if they get two nerfs, I mean, like if, if more than like, uh, the, those sort of, some of those exceptions in that eight to ten stone range that I was talking about, if um, if nerfs go outside of that range, I have no um, problem just playing a different faction competitively and explores casually. I want to mention two things. You called out uh, not only having two uh, ruthless models. That's actually one thing that the operatives are perfect for, because infiltrator says anything enemy, terrifying, manipulative, uh, serene countenance. A bunch of stuff like that says enemy attack. Suddenly you don't care. Um, so that's that's one case where, yeah, they're five stone models, but they also have five wounds. They're going to die, but it's it's up to the explorer player to get them where they need to go to accomplish that one job, hopefully. Um, on the emissary, like, I, I really, I scratch my head at why people are having trouble with it. Yes, it's defense seven. It's move five and willpower five. Hit something else. Yeah, I, I think the thing with the emissary is that it's very combo-y. So the emissary on its own, the emissary on its own is annoying, but like there's cheaper models in other factions that can do very similar things. The problem is that there's some really oppressive combos that you can get with the emissary and other stuff in the faction. Mikhail, as Cody said, being a, an excellent example of that. You can literally take Mikhail, who I think is a huge problem from a balance perspective, and the emissary and plop them into any crew and they will super friends their way through the opponent's crew and they will not be able to do anything about it. They'll protect all your important models. It, it's, it's actually kind of an uninteractive combo of models on your side. And like it's the very difficult for most opponents to even do anything about them at all. Yep. So the only choice they really have, unless they've teched into it is not do anything about them. Yeah. I will also say that that is is but that is uh, a very that is the strength of the faction that ignores the weakness, which is that uh, a lot of the faction relies on that bubbles. Like I would say, Explorers has some of the least target selection of any faction I've played so far. Like there's the Archivist is the only gun. You know, all the other guns are on Masters 
which, uh, you know, you are paying out the wazoo to add into your faction. So even though you could um, find yourself in a, in, a, in like, like to, uh, like Roman was saying, I don't see the point. It is a lot of it is in your head, you know, like how many times do you have to be, go into, you know, you, you charge into something, they pitch a card for take the hit for the emissary. They drop a 13 so that they heal one point. So Mikhail warps, you know, standing two inches away from you. You have one inch melee before you press caps lock on your keyboard. And you're going AWP. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so, like, that's that's ignoring the fact that I can't kill a Sillerid unless it stands in the middle of the table. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, there's clearly uh, weaknesses that um, are, are hard to see sometimes. Yeah. I, I would say explorers in general, they feel to me like they suffer from, and this is coming from a Bayou player's perspective, they feel like they suffer greatly from the same problem that Bayou had in 2E, which is that they were an incredibly elite super frenzy sort of faction. Every single yeah. crew was Francois, Trixie Bell, blah, yep. blah, 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 blah. You had a core of four models that you took into every single crew. Weird did a fantastic job of trying to get away from that. And I feel like they've successfully done so, except maybe with Guild. There's some issues there. But Explorers is kind of right back in that same boat. I mean, we talked about having core crews. Like, how many other deep dives have you done, Craig, where people have said, well, my core crew is Gibson 99% of the time and this other model 90% of the time, and that's it. Like, yep. every other time you talk about a crew, they're going to say, well, there's these three or four models that I take almost all the time i might flex this one out but i really hate to do so it's kind of that way across most of explorer society interesting so you've got your one keyword model that's really critical and then you take mikhail and then you take the emissary and then you take the archivist and then you're like well i guess i got a couple of points left i'll take one of these crap minions or i'll just bank the stones or take an upgrade it I don't feel like many of the crews rely on enough in keyword synergy to disincentivize you from taking those really key out of keyword models. The masters are too independent is really what it comes down to, in my opinion. Yep. Yep. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out um, over time. You know, um, uh, I've had this conversation a million times. You can play test with play testers as long, you know, for forever, ever and ever. And, this is this is not the playtester's fault. It's not the designer's fault. The bottom line is, is it has to get the fuck out in the wild. It has to get out in the mm-hmm. wild, and it's got to get bigger. That's that's when we start to really shape things. That's when we really start to see the less obvious problems. And the other thing that annoys me a little bit when people shit on the designers and they shit on playtesters is you you didn't see what was fixed, right? <laughs> All you see when you're, you know, you weren't part of it is going, yeah, well, how'd they miss that? Well, it's because they caught like 50 other effing things, you jerk. <laughs> you know, you should have seen it before, you know, the designers and the playtesters get in there. But speaking of Mimic soapboxes, that's mine. Um, all right. Uh, Roman, <laughs> any shout outs and plugs? Uh, as usual, check out Steam Powered Scoundrels in both our podcast and our Discord form. If you want to uh, see what all weird memes we come up with, they are all over in our Bayou chat. Uh, also, check out our Patreon if you want to say want us to say nice things and possibly made up things about you. Uh, on another friend's podcast, Game Store Dropouts, a friend of the show, uh, Robert, who has done a several as well. Uh, check out them. By the time this is out, the episode will probably have dropped, but I know Doug just recorded with them last night to talk about Through the Breach. So that should be a barn burner. 
And then, uh, as usual, watch upcoming streams of Craig's Fistful of Credits Star Wars campaign to hear me talk like a robot and the Rob I just mentioned sound like an excellent space Australian. <laughs> All right, Cody, how about you? Yeah, listen to Swamp Fiends podcast, just did the 30th one. I'm trying to keep them kind of evergreen, so if you're listening to this in a year, uh, still go give it a binge. You're such an asshole. <laughs> I'm not saying it, you're, you're putting it out of the air. I just, they can you be listening to that dig. How many times have you made that dig in one podcast, They can be Cody. listening three months you after you publish it in a You year. just can't do it, right? <laughs> Oh, my God. So Unlike some podcasts, I have a schedule. I have to put shit out on Tuesdays. Oh <laughs> I can't just God. go, well, I feel like fucking recording today, so I guess I'll do that. Yeah, true, true, true. You got go yeah, so oh, Patreon, you got to uh, stay loyal to. But no, seriously. I'm uh, walking all over it. Um, I've tried, uh, you know, obviously there's some React episodes, but most of it is is is... is uh, about specific topics, so um, yeah, I'm trying to make it a bingeable sort of thing um, eventually. Old school people will understand this compliment, and for me, Swamp Fiends is the max value of 3E. Yeah, uh, for real. Sure. Yep. True story. Uh, Jesse. So uh, definitely take a look at the Boring Conversation uh, podcast feed. Um, another thing that I would say is really do your best to support and nurture your local henchmen. That, mm -hmm. That's the biggest call out that I can make. I mean, a lot of the country is just starting to come out of the COVID pandemic. We're recording this in uh, the middle of June or the end of June, rather. Um, most, most states have opened up at this point, but there are still some sectors of the country that are struggling. We've, we've opened up open play just the exact same time that all of a sudden people have all these summertime commitments and they're making up for lost time socially and there's a thousand kids birthday parties and a thousand barbecues and as a henchman i can speak to this it is a fucking nightmare to try and schedule any kind of organized play event trying to schedule yeah. a league right now is an absolute no-go trying to schedule a tournament is talking to your locals and seeing 15 different people's schedules and finding the one day that half of your group can get there and then have three of them tell you three days out that they can't go. So please, please, please make every effort to support your local henchmen. Get to as many events as you can. Attend the weekly game nights um, as much as you reasonably can so that we can continue driving this community and driving this great game forward. Amen. Amen. Mm -hmm. All right, guys, I really appreciate the three of you coming on. I wasn't bullshitting at the beginning. All three podcasts are um, really my favorite podcasts out right there, dealing with Malifaux and dealing with anything else. Um, uh, my only complaint is that there's not enough Boring Conversation episodes. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing more of that because I think you and Adam are start, really starting to get your stride, uh, which it takes time to do. Um, and you guys are starting to figure it out. Uh, so there's this, thing, <laughs> there's this thing called a backlog that we don't have. <laughs> <laughs> so when we and when me and craig first recorded our the first time together it was the ophelia podcast way back at all really close to the beginning of yeah. the third floor wars i mean that was one of the first deep dives that we yeah that we recorded and you know a couple of months went by and i'm like oh i wonder when that episode's gonna come out and he keeps putting out new episodes every week and i'm like god damn how many episodes does this dude have in his kitty and i start recording and i'm like wow it's uh 
kind of sucks not having a backlog. I should yeah. probably record more often. <laughs> yeah, but you can you you also should not do what I've done, and that's have a mental illness. And um, <laughs> I, I mean, I, like, so I, I got a weekly podcast, right? And I've already given myself the ability to take to take the last Tuesday off. Right. So not release re- release uh, on the last Tuesday of every month. I already put that out as a possibility. So when you have a weekly podcast and you have the flexibility of not putting it out every week, what do you do? You record two to three episodes a week because that makes a shit ton of sense. <laughs> and that's what I do. Sure. Um, and it, I figured it out. Like I like I had this irrational fear of not having material and just finally, you know, it's just like when you look at your shelf of sealed boxes that have been sitting there, you know, for two moves, two different houses, and you haven't opened up the single model, you start going, okay, look, like, you know, I need to calm down. So the good news is I'm going to be able to take about two months off and not record. Yeah, there you go. But but yeah, yeah, I I do recommend a backlog. Meanwhile, uh, do not support boring conversation on Patreon. Yeah. Yeah, do not support Boring Conversation on Patreon. We don't have a page for a reason, because I can't commit to actually putting out episodes in a timely fashion. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. That's funny. And, um... Oh, shit, I was going to say something else, and I lost it. Eh, Whatever. That's all right. Hey, um, appreciate you guys coming on. Um, All three of you guys are buddies of mine, so it was really good to have it. It was the first time we've done a three-person deep dive, and I think it worked out well. And for those of you that sat away... For those of you that sat all the way to the end listening, I appreciate you too. Take care. Hey, did you hear that? You leveled up. You finished another episode of Tabletop Talk from Third Floor Wars. If you want more from the third floor, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Head on over to our YouTube channel. It is packed with painting tutorials, gaming tips, battle reports, and role-playing actual plays. Did you enjoy this episode? Why don't you send a link to one of your friends so they can enjoy it too? Last but not least, write us a review on your podcatcher of choice. This helps us find listeners almost as cool as you. going to go clockwise for me so it'll be uh jesse roman cody okay cool sounds Sounds good good. perfect is this my first explorers it is i think so bass and i i I have done mccabe but not mccabe and explorers Mm -hmm. so this is the first time okay so we're definitely not gonna run long then (laughs) yeah (laughs) all right so let me think um Knocking it the fuck out. Yeah, it's like we know <laughs> that we've done this before or something. Yeah, yeah, I know. All right, I'm going to start with Cody. So it'll be Cody, Roman, Jesse, okay? Hey, are you still here? Look, uh, the podcast is over. And you sat through all of the breaks and bloopers? Well, I mean, if you're here, might as well run over to patreon.com and become a supporter. Don't forget to rate and review this podcast, too, while you're at it, on whatever platform you're listening to. I do appreciate you sticking around. Take care.